It was November of our freshman year of college, and Ann and I were sitting in a Chi-Chi's in Des Moines. It had been over three months since I had last seen her. And we were in this Chi-Chi's to have that, that DTR. You know what that is? That's determine the relationship. Excuse me. That's define the relationship. We were at a crossroads, and we were about to lay all the cards for our future out on the table. And I asked Ann in that moment if she wanted to go first, and, and she looked at me and she said, no, I think you should go first. And over the next half hour, I just shared with her the dream that I had, this calling that I felt like God had put on my life to reach people who were far from him, that they might have a relationship with him. And I was inviting her to join me on this journey and I wanted her to know what was involved in this and everything that she would encounter, what she needed to know. And then she started to share her heart. And as she did, boy, I just felt like we melded together. As I listened, I'd never felt closer to her at that point in our lives than I did in that moment. That night was one of those key moments in our relationship. You know, conversations like that are often turning points for all of us. And we, we never forget their significance. It was that night that she agreed to go on this journey with me, almost 40 years ago. What an amazing night. You know, prayer is a lot like that. When you think about it, prayer is a conversation that we have. It's meaningful. You speak to God. And God speaks to you. Times of prayer can be some of the most significant events and moments and times in our lives. But you'll be missing the significance of it if your personal prayer life is primarily a one-way conversation where you do all the, all the talking. Prayer includes listening. In fact, it requires it. In fact, what God says in prayer is far more important than what you say or what I say. Prayer is the most privileged of conversations that you'll ever be invited to enter into. And what you need to know about it is you can call him anytime, night or day, no matter what the circumstances. Whatever you do, don't ever take prayer for granted. It's so available, it's so simple, it's easy to take it for granted. Don't allow that. It is a tremendous honor to talk to God. And what's amazing about it is you can call him at any time and you know he will take your call. If either of my daughters call me, I decided a long time ago that no matter what the circumstances were, I was going to take that call. No matter what was going on, whatever I was doing, I would step out of that for a moment to take their call. And there are two main reasons why, I, why I've always been willing to do that. The first is they might need me, and I've always wanted to be available to them when they called. But the second reason is probably a selfish one. I love hearing from them. Getting to talk with either of my girls, Bailey or Natalie, it's always special to me. 
when you think about the feelings that a father has for his children, and then you multiply those feelings by about 100 million times, you'll just begin to start scratching the surface of understanding just how your heavenly father feels about you. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 11. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God will always meet you in prayer. He's always available. Nothing in the entire universe will keep him from giving you his full attention. When we pray, we don't have to communicate through a priest like the Israelites did. We don't have to follow some prescribed rituals to get God's attention. We don't have to make an appointment. We can pray anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances. The writer of Hebrews says we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think it can be very easy to miss the awesomeness of God. So available. Doesn't require anything from us. I think we see that a lot of people in these days miss the incredible privilege that it is. Listen to what some of the greats of faith say about prayer. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes, prayer catapults us into the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. William Carey, who is known as the father of modern missions, wrote prayer. Secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. John Wesley said prayer is where the action is. And Andrew Murray said the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. And evangelist Leonard Ravenhill wrote, Poverty-stricken as the church is today in many things, she is the most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, a few wrestlers. Many fears, a few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. You get a sense that prayer is so powerfully significant in the lives of these men who knew God in a deep way. Throughout history, men like this, whose deepest relationships were recognized and admired by many, recognized because of the depth of their relationship with God. They saw prayer as this vital opportunity to commune with him. And without it, we're destined to fail. As we started this series, 
We saw how God awakened 3,000 people as he started the church. In Acts, the second chapter, verse 41, we read, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this was this massive movement of God. And you remember on that first Sunday of this series that I asked you to join me in praying for God to move like that again. The series title, Do It Again, God. I was asking you to pray with me every morning when you first wake up and you would ask God to reawaken his church and start with us. And we all know people, people who are far from God, people who are one heartbeat away from spending eternity without the Lord. And we started praying for many of those by name as God brought their faces to our mind while we were praying. Our prayer was that they might accept God's grace and become a disciple of Jesus. We didn't want them to miss out. I pray, God, that you will reawaken your church. Well, the following week, we talked about what the church did next. We find that in Acts 2, verse 42. We read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. As the church began their mission, they were focused and devoted on these four specific aspects of the faith, these four key functions of the church. The church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were focused on what would eventually be known to us as the Bible, the teachings of God. And then two weeks ago, Philip opened up for us how the church was devoted to fellowship and how the church functions best when we are bonded together in love, sharing life in relationship with one another. And then last week, Philip shared, and didn't Philip do a great job? I'm so proud of that young man. He's a great addition to our team. Well, last week, he shared about how the church was devoted to the breaking of bread, which we call communion, or oftentimes you'll hear it referred to as the Lord's Supper, the value that is found in remembering every single week what Jesus did for us on the cross. And today, well, you can probably figure out, we're gonna examine this final key function of the church that was church was so devoted to, it's prayer. Prayer is this tremendous privilege that the first church committed themselves to. But if you realize it, nobody actually makes you pray. So why do we pray, and why should you pray? Well, let me give you three reasons why you should pray. Very quickly, first of all, prayer is the way to experience the most intimate connection with God. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses six and seven. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's point here is that when we pray, we can bring everything, every situation we're struggling in, every anxiety or wound or circumstance, every frustration, every heartache, every heartbreak, we can present everything to God. And he'll listen to it. 
And what Paul says is that he actually will trade out those things and he gives us peace. Peace that Paul says transcends all understanding. It's a peace that's beyond our comprehension. You can't explain it, but it doesn't keep you from experiencing it. It's through prayer that God ministers to your heart and your soul in such a way that you experience this deep and intimate connection with him. And you could probably say that that's the only place that you're gonna find that. Well, there's another reason why we should pray, and that is that God works primarily through those who pray. The Bible is packed full of passages teaching us about our almighty and all-powerful God and how he is ready and willing and able to answer the prayers of his people. You see, there's nothing that is beyond his bandwidth. God has power to change everything as long as it's in accordance with his will, part of his plan for your life. There's an old saying that Max Lucado has made famous over the years, and that is, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. His supernatural strength is available to praying people who are convinced to the core of their being that God can make a difference, no matter what the situation or whatever the circumstances are that they face. Now, there are skeptics, and they may argue that answered prayers are only coincidences. But it's interesting. An old English bishop, archbishop, once observed, it's amazing how many coincidences occur when one begins to pray. So true. If you're willing to invite God to involve himself in your daily challenges, you will experience his prevailing power in your life. Well, there's a third reason why we should pray, and that is through prayer, we grow in the awareness of our dependence on God. One of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, writes, we may believe the fact that we are dependent on Christ But if our prayer life is meager or perfunctory, we thereby deny it. We are, in effect, saying we can handle most of our spiritual life with our own self-discipline and our perceived innate goodness. But nothing would be further from the truth. We're desperately, even on our best day, desperately in need of God at work in our lives. Prayer is actually an expression of our dependence on him. When we pray, it is an action that says, God, I need you. I need you. The reality is that we can't handle anything on our own, so we pray. Some of us think we can handle everything, but if we're honest, there's so much beyond our capacity. And when we pray, God sustains us through whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that are the gale force winds we're leaning into. So do you agree? We should pray? Even though we should, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will. If you really want to know about prayer, then the best place to go is to the expert in this arena. 
and that would be Jesus. Jesus' disciples were so impressed by watching him pray that one day they asked him, would you teach us to pray? And he didn't object to their question. Instead, he took the opportunity to teach them how to pray. And we read about it in Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 5 through 13. If you have your Bible or you're following along on the app, turn to Matthew 6, starting with verse 5. There's no other passage in all of Scripture that speaks so straightforwardly on how to pray. In this text, Jesus gives us three very simple guidelines on how to pray. The first one is found in verses 5 and 6. Listen to what he says. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Guideline number one is Pray privately. Pray privately. You know, the majority of time that we pray should actually be done in private. Oh, I know we pray together, and that's great. But privately is what Jesus said the best way we should pray. Now, why the emphasis on privacy? I think, first of all, there's the obvious practical reason. A private location minimizes distractions, and for most people, distractions can actually disrupt any attempts to communicate with God. You'll be able to listen to God much better in a private place. But the other reason for a private place is that as you pray to God there, that place It will become a holy place to you. If you continue to meet God in that place, it will become your Garden of Gethsemane, the place where you meet God. You know, for me, I have a place in my office at home where I I get up most every morning before anything else is going on in my day. And I just spend time with God on one end of the couch there in my office. It's a sacred place, a precious place. Well, there's another guideline that we find in verses seven and eight. This is what Jesus said. He said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The second guideline number two is pray authentically. Jesus said, don't keep babbling like the pagans do. Be careful of using cliches. Don't fall into the habit of using meaningless repetition. God heard you the first time. You don't have to say it 35 times. It's easy to use sanctified jargon while praying. Have you ever met someone who prayed in the King James Version? You know what I'm talking about. Certain phrases sound so appropriate, so spiritual, so righteous, that many believers learn to just string them all together, and it sounds like a, a really spiritual prayer. They may not even be thinking of the implications of what they're saying. God doesn't want us just to pile up impressive phrases. He doesn't want us to use words without thinking about their meaning. 
He wants us simply to talk to him as we would a loving father. Talk to him authentically, reverently, but personally. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your hearts to him. Pray authentically. The third guideline is found in verses 9 through 13. And you may recognize this passage. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Guideline number three is pray specifically. Jesus showed us what he meant by giving us a model prayer. How to pray specifically. The prayer that uh, we probably recognize when I read it is the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And in this passage, Jesus begins to give us all of these kind of specific things to pray about. First, he starts with worship because our God is worthy of adoration. He is worthy of worship. To keep our prayers from becoming like a wish list for Santa Claus, he suggests we start with worship. He also included that we surrender to God's will. That part of our prayer would be us saying, God, your plan is more important to my life than my plan. Help me to understand that. Help me to follow that. And then he modeled for us that we can lay out our concerns no matter what they are, big or small. If God, if you need a miracle, ask God for it. He's capable of answering every one of those concerns. And then Jesus showed us that we need to confess our sins. And this is important because you wanna make crystal clear that your sin isn't the obstacle in communicating with God. Because if there's sin in your life, It's going to jam up this conduit of communication. And then finally, he said that we should ask for protection from evil, protection from temptation. This prayer shows us how to pray in specific ways. You know, it's interesting. The Lord's Prayer is an excellent model. It's pretty simple, actually, if you think about it. But it was never intended to be some kind of magical incantation to get God's attention. In fact, Jesus just, just told us that this, this prayer is, is a simple paragraph, but it's not something that has to be recited in order for us to get access to God. In fact, he just warned us about using you know, repetitious phrases. He's talking about this, that just repeating this over and over again We can actually say it from memory, some of us, without even thinking about what we're saying. That's not prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. This prayer was a model that God gave us to see just how unique and simple it really is to have that conversation. He gave it to us as a pattern to show us the variety of things that would be involved and should be included when we pray. Now, when you pray, expect God to respond. 
A key problem that many of us have when we pray is that we pray and then we never share anything about what happens as a result of our praying. We didn't hear from God, we didn't get an answer, or we did and this is what God did. We don't share those things. After you pray, the single greatest thing you need to do is turn on your spiritual focus and look for God to respond. Expect him to answer you. Even if he says no or he says not right now, expect for him to answer you. I love what Henry Blackaby writes in his book. He writes, I always write down what God is saying to me when I pray. And as I read his word, I write down what I sense he is leading me to pray. As I begin to see what God is telling me about himself, his purposes, and his ways, I often see a pattern begin to develop. As I watch the direction the Spirit is leading me to pray, I begin to get a clear indication of what God is saying to me. This process calls for spiritual concentration. I love that. When you pray for a specific issue, immediately anticipate there to be activity by God to answer your prayer. Expect it. Expect God to answer your prayers. And then stick around. Stick around to get the answer. You may have to wait, but remember, God's timing is always perfect. Now, how is God going to speak to you? We said prayer is a conversation where you and I talk with God, which means God is going to communicate with us. Well, how exactly does God speak to us? When we listen, how does he actually communicate to us? Well, one way God speaks to us is through his word. As we read it and we learn the meaning of it and we meditate on how to apply it in our lives, we will hear God communicating to us. As we read the Bible, we come across a passage that we don't even remember it being there before. But it somehow it speaks to an issue that we're dealing with at that moment in our lives. Or, or maybe it just resonates within your soul. I recommend that you highlight that or underline that passage. Or maybe like Henry Blackaby, you write it down in a journal. When we memorize the Bible, God will use those passages as tools for your spiritual growth and development. And also for the battle that you face in spiritual spiritual warfare. He'll bring it to your mind during prayer or at just the right time when you need it. That truth will, will be there. The first time I remember experiencing that was years ago as a young minister. I remember a specific verse coming to my mind. I don't remember the specifics about that moment, but I remember I was facing a temptation of some kind when out of the blue, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 just popped into my head. And it's, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. In that moment, I remember the empowerment I felt that God had given me this verse to remind me that even though I'm tempted, 
He's not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can withstand. And he always will provide me a means of escape. I heard God speak clearly that day, in that moment, through that word. That's why Psalm 119.11 is so important to all of us. It's so important to me. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. And he will make the will of God known to me and to you through his word. I must then take that truth when he presents it to me and immediately adjust my life to be in line with the plan, the will that God has for me. Well, there's another way that God speaks to us, and it's through the leading of the Holy Spirit. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit leads us, he rebukes us, he affirms us, he comforts us, and assures those who are followers of Jesus. So pay attention during prayer, during life. Pay attention as you sense his leading you, especially during prayer. Remember, the Holy Spirit will always be in harmony with the word of God. He will never contradict the Bible. And another way God speaks to us is through other godly people. I have had numerous times when I have faced serious dilemmas and I would make a call or I would go and sit down in Steve Smith's office or Pat Rohatch's office and I would ask for their Spiritual guidance, godly men, godly women. Similarly, I have talked with many of our elders over the years and others here at Northeast, seeking their wisdom, their spiritual depth of understanding, and often their responses were scripture references or a pertinent story from the Bible and and an explanation of how it applies to the situation that I was facing They shared their own experiences of how God had worked in their lives. And in those moments, I have sensed God speaking clearly to me. So when you pray, listen to the still small voice of God. Be still so that you can hear that voice. As we read earlier, the first church devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was a priority to those people. It was a key function of the church. They must have known that prayer was an essential for the vitality and the success of that church or any church. Inversely, so many of us today live as though prayer is simply a tool in our toolbox that we can go to anytime we need But so rarely do we ever actually go to the toolbox to get the tool. And then we wonder why we're not living that abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us, that life that's in alignment with the will that God has for us. Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. If you've been sensing the need for real prayer in your life. Maybe it's time to commit yourself to spending some quiet, quality time with God. 
Don't miss out on what God will do in you and through you when you spend time with him in prayer. Let's pray together. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for your kindness and generosity, for the way that you have opened up these opportunities for us to come to you. We are privileged beyond our comprehension. God, as we talk about this first church and the amazing things you did through them as you awakened them to your purposes and you started the church, we see they devoted themselves to prayer. We realize what an amazing, amazing opportunity and privilege prayer is. You're the creator of the universe and you've given us prayer so that we can converse with you. Thank you for making the opportunity available to us that we can call on you at any time and you'll meet with us. You hear us and you guide us. And in those moments, God, you love us. There's so much going on in our world right now and it creates so much uncertainty, yet being able to exchange these worries and stresses and anxieties for this peace that you give that's indefinable. It's so incredible, God. We thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you'll awaken your church. Holy Spirit, please move to bring about revival within the church. Start with us. Holy Spirit, please chase after those who are not part of your family yet, those who are far from you, so that they might see the love you have for them and they decide to turn to you to receive the grace you offer. God, we don't want anybody to miss out on that. Help us, God, to be the vessels that carry that amazing grace to those of the 40509 and beyond. Lord, unite us as a church together that prays. We need you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes the best way to prepare for what's ahead is to simply look back. And that's what we've done in this series. Do it again, God, where we've looked at the early church, the example that they set, and some of the aspects, the, the various ways that they devoted themselves um, to the teachings of Jesus and how they implemented those in their faith community. And so uh, and we, we hope that you've been um, tracking along with us. We hope that you've you've uh, grown in your walk with Jesus through this series. And if you've missed any of those teachings, we encourage you, I mean, look those up, tune in uh, to whatever streaming service you're on right now. Um, and so it's been a great time unpack that together. But listen, if you're new with us, and just a special welcome. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for waiting and, and being with us all the way to the end. We're glad that you have tuned in. And so look, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been tracking for a while, we would love to connect with you. So if you haven't taken that step, uh, very simply, go to ncclex.info. Right there at the top of that page is a digital connect card. Fill that out and we will connect with you from there. And finally, listen, your generosity, your generosity helps propel the mission of this church. And we just want to say thank you. 
thank you for your faithfulness um, and your uh, extravagant generosity that mirrors an extravagant Father in heaven. And so regardless of how you give, if it's digitally online or maybe you, you send something in the mail, regardless of how that is, um, we're grateful for it and glad that you're on mission with us. And so, hey, that's all we've got today. Um, so glad that you've been tracking along, you've tuned in, and we'll see you real soon.